Amen. Good evening, everyone. Good to have all of you here tonight and to have all of you joining us from your homes tonight as well. Exodus chapter 5. Going to do a little bit different tonight. I want you to follow along with me as I read the chapter. And then I'm going to lay my Bible aside. And I just want to speak to you from the heart tonight um, about this chapter. And if you are a note taker, uh, I would encourage you to write these two sentences down. And I shared them before worship. The first is, because we live in a world of instant gratification, that God's promises, God's presence, and God's provision does not guarantee immediate results. We all as Christians need to get that. <laughs> Just because we have God's presence, God's promises, and God's provision, that does not guarantee immediate results. And the second statement I want to make before we read this chapter together is that God's people must not assume that carrying out God's commands will increase their own comfort. I will repeat that. We must not assume as God's people that simply because we are carrying out God's commands that that will increase our own comfort. That was certainly not the case with Moses. So let's begin. I'm just going to have you follow along with me as I read Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Release or set free my people so that they may hold a pilgrim feast to me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord, and I will not release Israel. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go a three-day journey into the desert so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God so that he does not strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you cause the people to refrain from their work? Return to your labor. Pharaoh was thinking, the people of the land are now many, and you are giving them rest from their labor. By the way, the word rest there in the Hebrew is Sabbath. We'll come back to that. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the slave masters and foremen who were over the people, you must no longer give straw to the people for making bricks as before. Let them go and collect straw for themselves. But you must require of them the same quota of bricks that they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. Basically, he's saying they're lazy. That is why they are crying, let us go sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so they will keep at it, and don't miss this, and pay no attention to lying words. So the slave masters of the people and their foremen went to the Israelites and said, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not giving you straw. You go get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it because there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people spread out through all the land of Egypt to collect stubble for straw. The slave masters were pressuring them, saying, Complete your work for each day, just like when there was straw. 
The Israelite foremen whom Pharaoh's slave masters had set over them were beaten and were asked, why did you not complete your requirement for brick making as in the past, both yesterday and today? And the Israelite foreman went and cried out to Pharaoh, why are you treating your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, but we are told make bricks. Your servants are even being beaten, but the fault is with your people. But Pharaoh replied, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. So now get back to work. You will not be given straw, but you must still produce your quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told you must not reduce the daily quota of your bricks. When they went out from Pharaoh, they encountered Moses and Aaron standing there to meet them. And they said to them, May the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink, literally offensive in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants so that you have given them an excuse to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why? Why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you have certainly not rescued them. Let that hang in the air for a week, right? As I said earlier, all of us can relate to this chapter. We have all been in situations in our life where we are following what God wants to do and things are going from bad to worse. They're not getting any better and we're sort of like i don't get this god i'm i'm doing what you ask me to do and things are actually getting worse first before they get better let's also remember too because again even though i like the chapter divisions because it does sort of give us a little bit of an order with our bibles that those chapter divisions were not divinely inspired. There's no break between chapter 5 and chapter 6 or even between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So let's just rewind a little bit and go back a little ways and remember something coming into chapter 5. Moses is on a roll. I mean, he's like finally said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And then God shows him all these miraculous signs and, and he gives Moses the authority and power to be able to do these signs. And he tells Moses, now you go, and you go before the elders and before the people of Israel, and you do these miracles, you do these signs so that they will believe in you that I sent you and that you're my person for this. And so Moses goes in as into chapter 4, and he does all these signs, and the Bible says the people believe, and not only do they believe, but the end of chapter 4, as we saw a couple weeks ago, they're worshiping God, they're bowing down, and it's like this mountaintop experience, and, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I can only imagine what Moses and Aaron are thinking. We're going to go into Pharaoh, God has appointed, we are God's people. And God has appointed us to lead his people out. And we're going to go into that Pharaoh and we're going to tell him, thus says the Lord, and we're going to do these signs and we're going to be out of Egypt before nightfall. And you know what happens. Now, a couple things, though. 
I want to point out. It, it is good that Moses had Aaron and Aaron had Moses. It is good to have partners because you can lean on each other and, and encourage each other, especially in times like this. And I will say this too. This is a great example for us that we should never be afraid to stand before any human being, no matter who they are or how powerful they are, when we bow before the Lord first. Moses and Aaron were able to stand before the most powerful man on planet Earth at that time because they bowed before the Lord first. When you and I bow in humility before the Lord, we can stand before kings. We can stand before anybody. We should have the courage and the boldness because we are God's representatives. We represent the Lord of hosts, the creator of heaven and earth. And we should not be intimidated or fearful of anyone, any human being. All through the Bible, the message from God to his people is don't fear men. When you fear me properly, when you properly reverence and respect me, you should have no fear of any human being. And that was certainly true in this case. But obviously, their expectation was a little off, wasn't it? They were like, we're going to go in, and we're going to see immediate results. You know, that instant gratification. Okay, it's going to happen. And yet, think about this. Maybe God didn't completely give them the whole picture, but God did tell Moses and Aaron, listen, Pharaoh will resist you. Did he not say that to them? So it's, it's not like God said, you're not going to face any opposition or resistance. He did. He did tell them, look, Pharaoh is going to have a hard heart, and he's going to resist. I just think that Moses and Aaron, like us many times, probably only heard what we wanted to hear. You know, we heard the he's going to release us part, but the whole resist part probably sort of maybe went in one ear and out the other. You know, I, I sort of imagine that's the way it was with a lot of Israelites when it came to the teaching about the Messiah in the Old Testament. You know, they liked the part about the Messiah is going to come to earth and he's going to set up his kingdom. They liked that part. That's the part they clung to and, and focused on. But the part about him suffering and all of that, that they didn't like that part. So they sort of like, you know, and we can be that way. And that's where we have to make sure that as we listen to God, that we are truly listening to God and that we're, we're getting the whole message from God, not just the parts that we like. Because God did say to them, Pharaoh will resist you. And so they go before Pharaoh. And, you know, again, thus says the Lord, we are coming in the authority and power of the Lord. And his word carries weight and authority in our life, and it should carry weight and authority in your life, Pharaoh. But Pharaoh says, I don't respect or reverence your God. Now, when it says there in the text, I don't know your God, it doesn't mean that Pharaoh didn't know the God of the Hebrews. It means I have no reverence or respect for your God. Because again, in his mind, remember, Pharaoh was a God. Pharaoh was worshiped as a God in Egypt. And in those days, you know, might was everything. 
So Pharaoh's like, what kind of God are you? Is your God because you're all my slaves? Not a very intimidating or powerful God, right? So at this point, Pharaoh has no respect and no reverence for Moses' God and says, I'm not going to release you. In fact, we see there in the text that Pharaoh basically says, you, you want to take a three-day vacation out there in the desert just because you want to get off work. And by the way, I, I love this celebration that God wanted his people to have because that word in the Hebrew where it says God commanded us to go out into the desert and celebrate, the word means feasting, singing, and dancing. That's what God wanted his people to do in the desert. Feast, sing, and dance. I could, we could do that here, right? That, that, that would be good. And so Pharaoh's like, no. Again, you're just slacking. And, and if you notice that when we read that, this Pharaoh had sort of that same fear in him that the previous Pharaohs had when they tried to kill all the Hebrew children and, and all the males and stuff, because he says, there's a lot of you. And, and in order to control them, he's not going to control them by killing them, because that would be counterproductive to them being his slaves and getting all this work done. But what he's going to do is make them work even harder. Now, this is something that you and I have to be careful of in our world today because the world hasn't changed any. The world will tell us as Christians, work, work, work. And that's all sometimes the world wants us to do is just work us to death. Sell our soul to that company or that business or whatever. And even the things that you and I can get involved with in the world, it's like we got to sell our soul to be involved with it because it literally consumes our lives. You understand that that principle is not something new. That's something that goes way back to the beginning of history, where the whole idea is, we're going to consume your life so that you don't have any time to observe your God, to, to do the Sabbath, because God commanded his people to at least have one day in seven that they would set aside to worship him as a community of believers and to rest from their labor. Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to give you any rest. I'm not going to observe, let you observe your Sabbath. And then remember the end of verse 9? He says, I'm going to work you all so hard that you don't pay attention to those lying words from Moses. In other words, you have no time to focus on God's revelation. That's what the world wants all of us to do to get so busy with all of things that the, the world wants us to get busy in that we don't have time for God, that we don't have time to worship, that we don't have time for his word, that we don't have time to pray. And all of us have to sort of fight against that. Because even though we might not have a Pharaoh who's sort of pressuring us to do that, there's always, and even good things can become too much for us. And we have to make sure that we put boundaries around so that we have enough margin in our life to always have time for God, both personally and then with our brothers and sisters 
corporately. That's why I've said to you many times, and I got this from my mentor. He said at the end of his life, he said, Jeff, my life has been shaped more by the things that I said no to than the things that I said yes to. That's a profound statement. A profound statement, and yet a very wise statement. My life was shaped more by what I said no to than what I said yes to, so that I could give myself to the things that matter most. Pharaoh was all about work, work, work. And we're going to even make it harder for them because we're going to now add on to what they're already doing full time. Now it's going to be their responsibility to get their straw. See, before, Pharaoh and the Egyptians would supply the straw, sort of the the, the base product to start the bricks with, it came from them. Now the Israelites not only had to produce the same quota of bricks, they also had to go out and get all the stubble. And the, when were they going to do that? Well, at night, you know, on the weekends, you know. Any time that they had extra, they had to now put into gathering that. And you know what I thought of, too, as I was meditating on this passage? How Pharaoh's yoke was life-sapping and exasperating for the people of God. And yet, what does Jesus say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus says to us, when you take on what I have for you, you you won't be exasperated. You won't be frustrated. It will not sap you. It will energize you and encourage you because it will be a very unique, well-fitted responsibility and it will not be unreasonable. It will not be more than what you can reasonably take on, you see. But not the world. And you see, Egypt and Pharaoh sort of represents the world for us. So keep that in mind as we go through the book of Exodus. In fact, I'll say this at this point, and you'll hear this again as we move through the book of Exodus. Exodus is not a battle between God's people and the Egyptian people or the world's people. It is not even a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. It is not a battle between God and Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. It is a battle between God and the gods of Egypt. That's why we're going to see that even the plagues that God brought were all directed towards a particular God in the Egyptian culture and religion. See, this was was a spiritual battle. It it might look like it's a physical thing, but you and I have to always realize there's always a spiritual battle taking place underneath it all, beyond, you know, where we can see. And that's always the case. That's why, you know, in the New Testament, Paul even tells the Ephesians, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. That ultimately, our wrestling and our battles and our striving is with spiritual entities, not with physical people. They're just 
part of the mix that the spiritual entities are using. But it's spiritual battles that we are all in, which is why we need to fight those spiritual battles with worship and on our knees in prayer and with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We've got spiritual weapons because we are in a spiritual battle. Well, let's move on. So Moses and Aaron exit. They were not successful, right? And then the text sort of picks it up that Pharaoh then begins to talk to the Egyptian slave masters and to the Israelite foremen, those particular leaders that were over the slaves, and basically said, you need to tell them, here's here's the deal. You're going to keep up your quota, and you're going to also have to get all the materials to keep it up. And, you know, obviously, this was not only an unreasonable request by Pharaoh. This was an impossible request. There was no way that they were going to be able to sustain this. It it was if they were just going to be beaten into the ground. Pharaoh didn't care about these people at all. And, And this is, again, where there's that tension, even as a God follower, because you'll notice in the text that When the Israelite foremen are at the end of themselves, who do they go to? They don't go and cry out to their God. Who do they go to? They go and cry out to Pharaoh. You notice that? And and what do they say about themselves? We're your servants. Three times in verse 15 and 16, they say, we're your servants, your servants, your servants. See, God wanted to see about his own people. Are you Pharaoh's servants or are you my servants? Whose servants are you, really? Because it seems like you think that Pharaoh's really going to help you. And we know from the text, Pharaoh didn't help them. Pharaoh didn't hear them. He, didn't, he doesn't care a lick about them. He, don't, he doesn't care if they die. It is God who cares about his people. And God has already said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cries. I'm coming down, and I'm going to deliver them. And that is God's promise. Now, again, God's promise doesn't always equate to immediate results. And Moses, and you and I should have known that already in our lives. We've just come through the book of Genesis. And we could go back to the book of Genesis and go, you know what? Look at Abraham. Was Abraham and God's promises and presence and provision to Abraham, did that get Abraham immediate results? No. Abraham had to wait a long time before the child of promise, Isaac, came along. In fact, he tried to mess it up even by taking matters into his own hands, which then delayed it even more because he wouldn't wait in faith and he had to learn to do that because God was going to do something even beyond what he could ever ask or imagine. But it was going to take patience, patience. God needs to see patience in us that even though he's given us his presence, given us his provision, given us his promises, there are times where God calls us to wait And that's where our endurance and our perseverance comes in. And then we just finished up the study of Joseph. And the same thing about Joseph. Joseph had to wait for the fulfillment 
of God's promises in his life for a long time. He had to go through a lot of stuff before finally those promises were fulfilled. So it's not like God has always just immediately gratified his servants every time he promised them something. In fact, the pattern in the Bible is God almost never does that. God is always in a process of growing us through the process of waiting on him to fulfill his promises. And sometimes even we die in faith, not seeing those promises, as we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. It's something that you and I have to come to grips with as followers of God. And so they go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh doesn't give them the time of day. He basically says, go back out, you keep up that quota, and you've got to get the straw. So then you see where the story starts to go. Then you sort of have the third scene in this chapter. And that is where when those Israelite foremen come out of that meeting with Pharaoh, there's Moses and Aaron. And oh, they're going to give it to them. Because you know how we are as human beings. You got to blame somebody when things aren't going right. Right? I mean, you, you saw the Israelites do that even in the presence of Pharaoh. They, they weren't going to, you know, be, on, be suicidal by blaming Pharaoh. So they said, your people are to blame. It's your people's fault, Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted none of that. So then they leave the presence of Pharaoh, and who are they going to point the finger at? Moses and Aaron. This is your fault. Things are not turning out well, and we've got to point the finger of blame at somebody, so we're pointing the finger at you. you. You have done nothing but make things worse for us since you came on the scene. Now, let's put ourselves in Moses' place, and especially his headspace. Remember, here's the guy who was very reluctant to take on this assignment to begin with, right? This, this is a reminder to us that God reserves the hard, difficult assignments for very special servants. Because here's the deal. We still, you know, Moses is like one of the heroes of our faith. And yet when you think about his life in ministry, was it easy what God asked him to do? No. It was not easy at all. It was very difficult. And yet, he's one of our heroes. I mean, you think about, again, a couple of the people we mentioned from Genesis. Joseph, another hero of the faith. Was his life in ministry easy? No, it was difficult. So, you know, we, we look at these Bible heroes, and, and, and you know, we, we sort of put them up on pedestals, though we shouldn't. They're just like us. But we forget sometimes how hard and difficult their life in ministry was. The reason why they're heroes is because they had a hard, difficult assignment and they stayed by the stuff even though it was hard. You and I need to be the same. When things get difficult, we can't give up or quit. we got to hang in there. 
We've got to have that endurance, that perseverance. What's the writer of Hebrews say? say? Let us run with endurance the race that is set out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he even endured the cross, despising its shame. Even Jesus is an example of all the things that he went through. And we're seeing that in the book of Luke. All the rejection and all the hatred and all the insults and, and all the, the, the uh, critical assessment of him and his ministry, they dogged him almost from the very beginning of his ministry and they never let up on him one day, following him around, just nitpicking at everything that he did. You and I, again, sometimes we forget those details. And then we look at our lives sometimes and think, God, why? Where are you? Well, when we go back to the reality of the Bible and the reality of what God says, it actually lines up. It, it lines up. Life is going to be hard and difficult at times, especially Again, when we're doing everything God asks us to do and things go from bad to worse. Or when we're doing, carrying out the commands of God and we think by carrying them out, it's going to bring comfort and it actually doesn't increase our comfort. It actually makes things even more uncomfortable for us. And that's where Moses is. And you can imagine how deeply the rejection of his own people hurt Moses because again remember he, he kept arguing with God God they won't listen to me and and all of this and he didn't want to go and of course he had that failure earlier on in his life and all this and I think Moses was always suffering from that insecurity especially of the acceptance of his own people of his own leadership and now his worst fears have come to pass because everything that he feared would happen now is playing out right before him. Things are not going well at all. And the finger is coming back and pointing at him. And he's now taking all the blame for how things are going so bad. But I want to commend Moses at this point. Because Moses does what Job did. And that is that you'll notice there at the very end of the chapter that after that encounter with the Israelite foreman, it says Moses returned to the Lord. Literally, he turned to the Lord. He sought the Lord. Oh, that's so important. Again, that's something that Job taught us through his struggle, was that it's not that we won't go through really hard and difficult times, but if we go through it partnering with God, and if we go through it pouring out our hearts to God, we'll get there. But we'll never get there, and we'll never be in a good or healthy place spiritually if we disconnect from God and then try to figure everything out. We've got to keep partnering with God and figuring it out with God. And so I want you to note something as we sort of wrap all this up tonight. 
And that is, I want you to notice, Moses asked the Lord, why? Oh, again, nothing's new, is it? Because we still, at times in our life, what do we do? We get into these situations and we say, God, why? Why have you made things harder and more difficult for these people? Why? Why are these things happening? And then notice the set. Why did you ever send me? <laughs> you know I didn't want to do this in the first place. You know how much I struggled with you to accept your will. And so I finally gave in. I was finally confident in hearing your voice and, and in knowing that you were going to be with me and that you were going to give me your power and authority and provision, all this. And so I finally embraced it and I go into Pharaoh and look what's happened. The bottom has fallen out. And I am undone, God. I'm undone. And then Moses really lets God have it with both barrels. He says, and you, God, you've not come through. You have not delivered your people like you said. Basically, he's calling God out. Now, here's how I want to end this, because I think this is so important, and I hope this will be as encouraging for you as it was for me to be reminded of this. God never, ever chastises or gets upset with Moses for asking why. Never. So I want you to know tonight, you're ever in a place where you're like Moses and, and you may be a little disillusioned and a little discouraged with how things are going and think that somehow things should be going different and you've got a lot of why questions for God, it's okay. God welcomes our why questions. In fact, God is big enough and his shoulders are broad enough that you can let your God have it and he's going to be okay with it. You know why? Because he understands that there are times where things are beyond our ability to be able to, you know, sort of understand all that's going on and yet God wants us to let him have it in front of his face rather than talking about him bad behind his back. Because God's okay with that. So if you ever get into that place, you have to know God welcomes, let him have it. Pour it out. In fact, I think that's one of the things that endeared David to God is when David was struggling, he didn't go to somebody else and complain about God or gripe about God. He went to God and did it. And that's what Moses is doing. He's not, he's not griping or complaining or bad-mouthing God to somebody else. He's going to God and letting God have it. Because then, because the chapter divisions are not divinely inspired... I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself into next week, and I want you to go into chapter 6 for just a moment and see what God does in answer to this. Because you and I, right, if somebody would talk to us that way and we were God, they'd probably be a little grease spot on the pavement, right? 
fry you, done, right? No, that's not our God. God's merciful. God, again, never gets upset. You know what God does at the beginning of chapter 6? He renews Moses' call, and he reassures Moses that I've got this all taken care of, Moses. You just got to keep trusting me. It's coming. It's coming. And yes, you've met with resistance and you've met with opposition, but I'm telling you, in the end, things are going to work out just as I have told you they're going to work out. You just got to be patient and let it happen in my time because here's the thing, Moses, you're just a mere human being and I've got more going on in this whole deal with Pharaoh and the Egyptians and all of that and even my own people than you could ever imagine. And so there's, there's billions of layers of things that I'm accomplishing all at the same time and I realize you don't know it, so you just need to keep doing what I've asked you to do. So you notice something, God doesn't get upset with Moses. God just comes back and reassures Moses that everything's going to be okay. And that's what God will do with us. When you pour out your heart to God and you get upset with God and you let God have it with both barrels, God's not going to fry you like a grease spot on the pavement because he didn't do that with Moses. God's just going to gently, kindly, and lovingly just reassure us. Jeff, it's going to be okay. I'm God. Get your eyes back on me. See? So I hope tonight, even though it's not been a chapter where a lot of great things are happening, it's real life. It's, it's what you and I have to struggle with at times. And that's why we know it's the Word of God, because it's not always painting life and even other human beings in the best of, you know, terms. It, it's taking us down to the muck and mire of what we struggle with and what we deal with so that then we can be better equipped and encouraged to deal with it too when it comes because that's the reality of life, that sometimes things don't work out and, and sometimes though we feel so confident that we have God's promises and God's provision and God's presence with us and I'm just going to go do what God's asked me to do and it's going to happen, right? And it goes even worse. That takes faith. That takes patience. That takes endurance. That takes perseverance. And Moses struggled with that too, just like you and I do. And that's why the New Testament says, these Old Testament stories, listen, they're not stories just for a bygone era. These are just as relevant for us today. They are examples for us so that we can glean and grow from these things that these Old Testament saints struggled with just like we struggle with. Because guess what? Even though we live thousands of years apart from each other, we're still human beings. And human beings have always struggled with, it, 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 down to the very core, the very same things and struggled with their God about the very same things. Nothing has changed over thousands of years. But God is right there. As Nicole prayed and as we worship, God is going to be faithful. God is going to be God. God is going to be who God always is. And we can count on God even when we're in that season of our life 
where nothing has changed, and maybe not even nothing has changed, but maybe things have gotten worse before they got better. God is saying to all of us at that point, hang in there. Hang in there. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep clinging to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you meet us right where we are, right where life is, right where we struggle, so that, Lord, we understand we're not alone in how we feel at times. We're not alone in our struggles with ourselves, with others, and with you. God, we get it, and we thank you that you're so real and that, Lord, your revelation speaks to our real lives. And yet, God, you give us what we need right when we need it. God, I hope that all of us will take away, if nothing else, that, Lord, when Moses was really upset, he was exasperated, he was frustrated, he was undone, and he poured out all of that to you, that, Lord, you just listened. You let him spew. You let him talk. And then you gently and lovingly just reassured him that everything was going to be okay. He just needed to trust you a little bit longer. And he would start to see that changes were coming. God, I pray that that truth would also encourage someone here tonight to just keep hanging in there and trusting you in the season that they are in. And Lord, may we even use some of the things that we've learned from this passage tonight to maybe even encourage others that we know are in seasons like this right now. They just need to keep hanging on a little bit longer and trusting in you because change is coming. And when it comes, oh, it's glorious. There's nothing like, Lord, what you can do. It is above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. Thank you, God, for meeting with us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.